what a great way to start today. You can go ahead and be seated. And as you are, I want to say a happy Memorial Day to you. I read today that 50 million Americans are traveling this weekend to various parts. I guess Corona is over, right? And so... Uh, <laughs> So if you are uh, new with us today, man, welcome to Crossroads Church. I want to welcome all of you joining us on live on YouTube, uh, Facebook, Crossroads Live, wherever you may be, as well as uh, Fort Lupton, and of course here at Thornton as well. If you do not know me, uh, we haven't had the privilege of meeting. My name is Matt Manning, and I'm the senior pastor here at Crossroads Church. And today, we are continuing in our series of Luke, where we are looking at the profound teachings that Jesus gave in his ministry. Uh, if you were here last week, then you know that this is just one series in a number of series that we've been going through over the last couple of years as we've made our way through the Gospel of Luke. And as we travel through the Gospel of Luke, our emphasis, or really our, our looking at it, is because we want to know who Jesus is and what he was all about, so that we can decide for ourselves whether he's worth knowing, whether it matters, whether he's God whether he cares for us the way that he says that he cares for us, whether he's worth following in our lives. And so we just really believe here at Crossroads that the best way to understand who Jesus is and what he's all about is to look at one of the biographical writings about him in the church we call that Gospels. And so we're in this journey through the Gospel of Luke. And last week, if you were here, we walked through, kind of as a review, kind of quickly, the first nine chapters of Luke's gospel, where we find out how Jesus came into this world as a baby, the importance of that, and then really, when he arrived, what his mission or his purpose was all about. And just in case you don't know, Jesus makes it really simple for us. He says that his purpose in coming to this earth is to seek and save those who are lost. In other words, to bring people who are far away from God into relationship with God. That's the reason that Jesus came into this world. And so, as we travel through this, as we see Jesus live out this purpose, we get to Luke chapter 9, where there's this, this pinnacle moment in Luke's gospel called the transfiguration. And the transfiguration is this event where for just a moment, the curtains of eternity are pulled back and we see the glory of God on display through Jesus. Like in this transcendent, mind-bending moment, we see Jesus full of deity. We see Jesus in all of his godness in this moment. It's this, this amazing moment, just this glimpse that we get showing us the deity of Jesus. As he comes down from that mountain, Jesus knows that dark days are ahead for him. Jesus knows that suffering awaits him and that the march to the cross begins. And the way that Luke tells us in 951, this hinge verse in Luke, he says it this way, that Jesus sets his face on Jerusalem. That Jesus is going to Jerusalem and the reason that he's going to Jerusalem is to be crucified. He's heading there for the crucifixion in order to die for the sins of the world. For your sins and for my sins. And it's so important because the way that Luke sets this up for us, we have to understand that Jesus is not a victim on the cross, that this was not by accident, that the crucifixion is God's plan to bring hope and life into the world. As we travel through that, from this moment where Jesus is in Galilee, as he sets his face toward Jerusalem and travels to Jerusalem, the journey will take Jesus about a year to get to the cross. And along this journey, we get the opportunity to sit at the feet of Jesus just like the early disciples did, learning about life and what it truly means to live. 
And so if you were here last week, we looked at one of the first lessons that Jesus gives after the transfiguration, which is the radical cost of discipleship, the radical nature of our following Jesus. And if you missed that, you can check it out on the YouTube channel. It's all archived there. But today, as we move into the next lesson of Jesus, we watch him encounter a lawyer, an Old Testament lawyer, and they talk about something that we call in church called the greatest commandments. As they ask the question, as the lawyer asks the question, how do I inherit eternal life? The way that Luke records it for us is like this, starting in Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 25, and behold, a lawyer stood up and put him, that being Jesus, to this test, saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, this was a big question back then. It's a big question today. Maybe the way that we would say it is something like this. What do I have to do in order to get into heaven? That's the way that we would say it today. What do I need to do in order to get into heaven? And while this is a big question and a question that needs to be answered, and it will be answered, just know that this lawyer is not pure in his motives in asking this question. That when you read the word test there, actually think trap, because that's what's going on. That this isn't just some dude off the street who's asking Jesus this earnest question. This is an Old Testament lawyer. And lawyers back in Jesus' day, that they, were, that they were trained, they were educated in Old Testament law, that nobody knew the Old Testament better than the lawyers. That it was their career, it was their job to be able to answer questions like this. Jesus has been in ministry for about two years at this point. And the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the lawyers, the priests, even some of the rabbis are pretty fed up with Jesus. That everything that they thought they knew about God and what it meant to follow God is being dismantled by Jesus. And not only is he deconstructing what they believe about, about God, but he's also quite popular. That everywhere Jesus went, thousands of people would show up. When he spoke, people would listen. And so not only is Jesus deconstructing the very way that these religious leaders thought about God, but his very presence is threatening to them. He's threatening their power. He's threatening their influence. He's threatening their authority. He's threatening their very way of life. And they are determined by this point that they are not going to sit back and idly watch Jesus destroy everything that they've built in their life. They decide to wage war on Jesus by tripping him up showing him to, to be deceitful, a fraud, anything that they can do to discredit him. Teacher, what must one do in order to inherit eternal life? Jesus answers in verse 26. He says to him, well, what is written in the law? You're a lawyer. How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind." and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Now, for some reason, Jesus' response in this moment must have felt like a dagger to the lawyer because in the very next verse, uh, Luke tells us that the lawyer feels like he has to respond. He has to justify himself. And maybe the reason that he felt like he had to justify himself is because when it comes to, to loving God, if the most important thing to loving God is to love God with all of your mind and all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your strength, he can handle that. Because nobody can check on that, can they? Nobody can, nobody can see that. Nobody can see your heart. Nobody can see your mind. Nobody can see 
your soul. But to love your neighbor as yourself, you can check up on that one, can't you? That one's visible. That one's measurable. And it appears that Jesus is saying to this lawyer, he's going, bro, look, you can't think that you have it going on with God and not have it going on with the people that God puts in your life. It can't be one or the other. It has to be both. That your relational health, listen, this is so huge, your relational health with people is a huge indicator of your spiritual health with God. And when we get this mixed up, when it goes wrong, it mutates, it gets off. And you may have good theology, but if it never impacts people, if it never impacts humanity, which, come on, was the religious people's, religious leaders' problem in Jesus' day, then there's something that's missing in inheriting eternal life. That maybe this is the reason the lawyer felt like he had to justify himself. Or maybe, or maybe it was because Jesus knew that this was a trap and that there was deception. And as Jesus turns the question back on him, what do you think? What does the law say? And he answers that you love God with all of your being and your neighbor as yourself. When Jesus answers, you are correct, all of a sudden, the lawyer's in trouble, isn't he? He's in trouble because everybody knows that he already knew the answer. And all of a sudden, he showed to be insincere, hypocritical, full of deceit as a leader, that this question must have been something other than what it seems. And in this moment, as all the eyes are on him, as he feels the weight of his own deception, he does what many of us do, which is try to save face, or as Luke says, justify himself. Whatever the reason, the lawyer shifts anxiously before Jesus. And he looks at Jesus and he asks him another question, verse 29, desiring to justify himself. He said to Jesus, who is my neighbor? In other words, what the lawyer is asking here is, is Jesus, who, who do I actually have to love? Like, which groups in society are excluded from this commandment to love my neighbor? We might not see this here, but this was a huge debate. This was the great debate of Jesus' time. That religious leaders would, and rabbis would debate this endlessly. See, in Leviticus chapter 19, Moses lays out the rules concerning loving your neighbors. But the great debate was, who is your neighbor? And the reason that they worked so hard to understand who your neighbor was is because when it came to your neighbor, Moses was pretty clear that you had to love them. But for them, the law was a little bit gray. And so they were trying to figure out who is it that they actually had to love in society. In fact, over time, the great saying became, of the debate, the great teaching became this, love your neighbors and hate your enemies. Now, if you were to go back and read Leviticus chapter 19, you wouldn't see that phrase anywhere in Scripture. You wouldn't see the phrase, love your neighbors and hate your enemy, anywhere in Leviticus 19. The only thing that you would see is the commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. In fact, if you went back and, and read Leviticus chapter 19, you would see phrases such as this, that you shall not go around slandering your people. You shall not hate your brother. You shall not hold a grudge and take vengeance against the sons of your people. So for most of the rabbis and the religious leaders in this day, the way that they interpreted love your neighbor as yourself was love your people. 
So for the Jewish person, to love your neighbor meant to love Jewish people. So Samaritans, they don't count. And Romans, the great oppressors of God's people, they don't count. And tax collectors, they don't count. People who are, who are living lives far away from God, they don't count. The only people who count are your people. Therefore, you can love them, and you are free to hate everybody else. So obviously, this lawyer trying to justify himself, hiding, obviously hiding behind something in his own life, looks at Jesus and goes, Jesus, so cut it to me straight. Who is my neighbor? Who is it that I'm supposed to love? Surely, surely you don't mean Rome, the oppressors of Israel, and their lackey tax collectors. Surely you don't mean them. Surely you don't mean the half-breed Samaritans. Like, Jesus, you just tell me who my neighbor is so that I can evaluate and know who it is that I'm supposed to love. And in just a few short words, Jesus implies in his teaching something so much bigger, so much more grand than what the popular teaching of the day was that carved humanity into groups of people worthy of love and others who were not. And as the lawyer and all of us sit at the feet of Jesus. He brings us into a parable or a story to help us understand. It's one of Jesus' most famous stories in all of the scripture, the story of the great Samaritan. If you've heard it before, I would encourage you to listen with new ears. Jesus replied, verse 30, a man, presumably a Jew, was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And he fell among the robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, while this is a parable, this story would not be out of the ordinary. That in this time, it was difficult and hazardous and dangerous to travel. Thieves would lie in wait, waiting for a single passerby to, to take advantage of. It's why people traveled in groups. It's why people traveled in caravans. It was safer that way. The thieves wouldn't attack. But this man in our story, he's the unfortunate one. He's laying there on the verge of death, being brutally assaulted. Verse 31. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side. The first two people, a priest and a Levite, are the most religious of all the people that we find in the ancient Near East culture. They're walking down the road, and we would think that, that one of these two guys, one of these two highly religious guys, would stop and, and help this one on the side. But as Jesus tells the story, we see that both of them just slink to the side and walk on by as if the guy doesn't even exist, verse 33, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and he gave them to the innkeeper, saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. We get to the end of this parable, and our expectation is that Jesus will answer the question, is this guy lying on the side of the road, is he a neighbor? 
Is he worthy of our love or is he not? I mean, that's what we're all wondering. That's the question that they were all asking. Specifically, that's what the lawyer had asked. And Jesus, in this moment, makes this ninja move and he shifts the story. Did you catch it? The shift in the story moves from not whether or not this man dying on the street is worthy of our love or not, but he shifts to the kind of people who are walking by. The first two religious people felt no compassion. The Samaritan, the half-breed, half-blood, the ones that the Jews hated, he was different. He was a different kind of person, and Jesus makes it a point to show us that he has compassion, that he has great mercy. And Jesus turns to the lawyer, and he asks a question of himself, and he looks at the lawyer, and he says, now, when it comes to the wounded guy, who's that dude's neighbor? Verse 36, which one of these three do you think proved to be the neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And the lawyer said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus looked at him and he says, you go and do likewise. See, the question or the answer to the question that the lawyer is asking, how do I inherit eternal life, is not who, is, has nothing to do with who your neighbor is or is not. The decisive issue is what kind of person am I? See, the point of the parable was to show that this lawyer's like justifying move, asking for the definition of a neighbor, was simply skirting the real issue. Namely, the kind of person that he actually was. And the lawyer's problem, and let's be honest, all of our problem, the lawyer's problem and every single one of our problem is that every person, every person, how do we become the kind of person who when they see someone half dead on the side of the street cannot, because of their compassion, walk on by and do nothing? That's the real issue. And when it comes to eternal life, that's the kind of person that we have to become. That's the new kind of person that we have to become. I mean, just look at the practical compassion, the hands-on, messy kind of mercy that's shown. That this guy sees, this Samaritan sees this man half dead on the side of the road. Not only does he take him and care for him using his own oil and wine, which would have been hugely expensive, but he puts the man on his own animal. He takes him to an inn. He spends two denarii, which was two days worth of wages. And then he looks at the innkeeper and says, whatever more you need, I'll make sure you get it. That's mercy. That's deep compassion. And Jesus says to the lawyer and to us some 2,000 years later, those who love God with all of their mind, all of their heart, all of their soul, all of their strength, look a whole lot like this Samaritan who shows compassion and mercy. And as we look at this teaching, the thing that grounds, the way that we're to think about our neighbors is not their identity, but rather ours. Primarily what matters is who am I? And this is exactly why Jesus came and died. 
Oftentimes when we read this story, we put ourselves in one of the three people who walk by, and there's nothing wrong with doing that. But the reality is, is there we're not any of those three. That every single one of us is the one half dead, laying on the side of the road, beaten and left. Because of our sin and its consequence, it ravages our life. And we only see death. And as Jesus walks down the road, he does not just skirt to the other side and walk by, but he looks at us with mercy and compassion, and he gives everything that he has, including his own life, in order that we might be healed. It's the radical truth of the gospel that not only does Jesus heal us, but he also propels us to love God and to love others, to love others. He gives us the spirit, and in his spirit, it affects the way that we see those around us, not because, listen, not because they've changed, but because we have. That God transforms each and every one of us. And as we walk this path with Jesus and as we rub shoulders with people, we see real stories of real life with real struggles. And the question is, is will we despise those struggles with the heart of a Pharisee? Or will we show compassion and mercy? See, only when we see our own self-love In this kind of light, do we feel the tremendous force of love your neighbor as yourself? That's when it comes home for us. That Jesus is looking at this lawyer, asking the question, who is my neighbor? And he turns it on him. And he looks at the lawyer and he says, take note of how much you love yourself. Watch how you seek out the best places, the best seats in the synagogue. How you long to see people praying for you in the city square. How you work so tirelessly at maintaining your purity, that you are diligent when it comes to yourself. Jesus says, I want you to take all of that zeal that you have for yourself and now turn it for the people that I put in your life. That's what a follower of mine looks like. That's the fruits of eternal life. And with that one statement, Jesus cuts to the core of every selfish lifestyle that you and I have. He says, do you seek to feed yourself when you're hungry? We go, absolutely. He says, then with the same life and death urgency, you make sure that your neighbors have food. He looks at us and he says, do you have career aspirations? Do you wanna climb the corporate ladder? Do you wanna make a ton of money in that space? Do you want career advancements to which we go yes? He goes, then you make sure that every single person that you rub shoulders with in your corporation has the same opportunity to achieve what you want to achieve. For students, you like getting straight A's? He says, if you like getting straight A's, then you come along, those poor students, and you tutor them who have the same desires. Do you despise getting made fun of Do you hate it when people pick on you? Jesus says, then do not let a discouraging word come from your mouth, but only allow words of encouragement to flow from you. Do you long for a deep relationship with God? Then find someone who's a little bit further behind you and bring them on this journey with you. The central issue of the story is how the gospel bears on our own souls, how Jesus makes new creatures through his spirit, righteous before God, empowering us to love God and love others, even when at times it seems humanly impossible. 
Jesus comes to each and every one of us. And he says, you were that person laying on the road half dead. And I came to you and I showed you mercy and I showed you compassion. I showed you what it looks like to truly live. Now that you're healed, Christian, go and live likewise. Show that kind of mercy and compassion in your life with the people that I put in your life. That changed the world. It changed the world. If you're here today and you've never experienced that kind of compassion and mercy, if you've never seen Jesus in that light, I would simply invite you to text the word Jesus to the number on the screen, 720-513-1933. Because Jesus came and he laid down his life for you. He gave everything that he had so that you might have life. What must I do to inherit eternal life? You gotta become a new person. You gotta be a person full of compassion and mercy towards those that God puts in your life. Will you pray with me? Father, Lord, we come to you and uh, Lord, so often when we look at the parable of the Good Samaritan, God, we are like the lawyer asking the question, who is my neighbor? And Lord, that's not a wrong question to ask. Lord, the neighbor in our lives are the people that we're sitting next to, the people that we live next to, the people that we rub shoulders with at work, those we pass on the streets. God, you put people in our lives every day, constantly, in order, Lord, that we might love them just as we love ourselves. And so, God, I pray, Lord, the zeal that I have for loving myself would flow into other people's lives. And, Lord, I pray for myself and for all of us listening to my voice for those moments and those times in our lives where we have seen people in distress, where we have seen their struggle, where we have seen their sin, and we've looked upon them with disgust. Lord, passing by on the other side of the road, pretending that somehow they are less than a child of yours. God, we don't want that kind of attitude. We don't want that kind of heart. And so, Lord, we pray that you would transform us from the inside out, that you would give us hearts of compassion, that you would give us deep hearts of mercy. And, Lord, that your kingdom would flow because of the lives that we live. Lord, I pray for those who may not yet know you. God, you've brought them here today. They're, they're listening today. Lord, I pray in this parable that they would actually see you as the great Samaritan, the one who came and gave all in order that they might have life. God, work in each and every one of our hearts. It's in Jesus' name that I pray and all of God's people said, amen. Every week we celebrate communion, remembering the life and death of Jesus, remembering the march to the cross where his body was broken for your sin and for mine and where his blood was spilt for us to receive forgiveness. It's at the cross where our wounds are healed. It's at the cross where we cry out for Jesus to be our savior. And so today,
as we sit at the foot of the cross, we do just that in remembering the body and the blood. So let's do together. And the cup. Well, this radical, great gospel truth is not one that just impacts our minds, but also our hearts and our will. And so in response, we sing. In response, we pray. If you need prayer, we'll have people at the back of the room at Thornton and Fort Lupton online. Just hit the prayer button, and we'll pray for you. Otherwise, wherever you're at, I would invite you to stand as we sing of God's great love together.